Thank you for joining us for this Shine 180 podcast, stories of listeners' lives transformed by Jesus. I'm Steph Reynolds, Director of Partner Care here at Shine.fm. I have my new friend Elizabeth in this studio today sharing how God grabbed a hold of her after years of addiction and helped her overcome and be victorious over what the enemy intended to kill and destroy her. Listen as she authentically shares her journey to sobriety and to Jesus. My name is Elizabeth. I live in Bradley with my three wonderful kids, Jace, who is 16, Chance is 13, and Penelope is seven. Awesome. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up in the area. I'm a Hersher alumni of 2004. Uh, went to Limestone before that. So just I've grown up in this area. Moved here in kindergarten. Uh, before that, I lived in the South with my mom and dad. And they went their separate ways when I was four. So my dad stayed in Georgia and the rest of us came back up here. I used to tease kids when I was in school that during the summer, I would go to my summer house, which was really <laughs> just a double wide trailer in Georgia. Aww. Aww. <laughs> but, Aww. Uh, so tell me about your childhood years. I had a, I think, pretty standard childhood. Like I said, my parents split when I was four, which is kind of the, the, the common narrative anymore. But I was involved in things like soccer and in any musical thing that I could possibly pick up. I was trying to do band and choir and things like that. And we were involved in the church. Uh, we started off going to Limestone Church of the Nazarene. So any Christmas program, any pageant that I could be in, I was signing up for. Mm. I just, I loved to perform and I loved to sing for Jesus. Mm. And and then eventually I switched to First Church of the Nazarene. They had a pretty rock star youth group back when I was there. I don't know much about it anymore, but mm -hmm. so I, I would go and I loved it. It was, uh, it was where you could find me on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and any type of retreat I signed up for. And I just really liked attending youth group. It was, it was a lot of fun. So it sounds like you had a good foundation of faith that was instilled into your heart. Absolutely. I did. You know, at some point I chose to walk away from the church. I chose to go and try to find my own path. There were a lot of things that I struggled with as far as, you know, b the beliefs go. I believed that there was a Jesus Christ that walked on this earth, but I was having a hard time with the belief that he rose from the dead. Mm. I had a hard time with the immaculate conception. These were things that I just really struggled with. But how do you know that it's windy outside? You, you can't see it. You just feel it. So it was sort of the same thing with my faith, except Pastor Paul at Gathering Point, he, he and I had a conversation and I approached him one-on-one -on -one with these concerns when I started going back to church. And he said, well, that's, that's the thing though. You can actually see documentation. People saw Jesus after he was crucified. Mm -hmm. They saw him walking around. Uh, that's enough proof for me <laughs> that there's actual, actual documentation of, you know, of people seeing Jesus Christ walking around. Mm -hmm. so. so tell me about your teen years. Oh my goodness. My teen years... Well, they started off uh, in the church. They started off going to youth group. I would say my later teen years, my junior and senior year of high school, I'd, I'd stopped going to youth group. And that is when I started getting involved with, um, with drugs and alcohol. And I started off using pills first and using opiates. And that was my gateway. And that just turned into pretty heavy addictions. Hmm. So were you doing that, do you believe, to like fill a void that was in your life or wounds? 100%. Um, my mother was going through her own struggles at the time. We were in a very, how do I say this? We were, our relationship was pretty stressed at the time. 
And she was struggling with her own walk with Jesus, which she now is the biggest cheerleader for Mm. Jesus. And Mm -hmm. it's been really fun to watch her and watch her story too. And she's been such an inspiration to me with my own walk with Christ that I just have this like really rock star mom. So, um, (laughs) but at the time we were definitely, our relationship was quite strained. And so I filled it with the wrong people and doing the wrong things. And then addiction just got a hold of me in a very, very big way. And I ran away from home after high school. I mean, I was technically an adult, so there was nothing that my parents could do about it because I'm 18 and you can't do anything. So I met this man and we decided to have a baby. And I was 19 at the time when I had my son. And then I was 20 when we got married and I was 20 when we got divorced. Mm. And I'd maintained my addiction I shouldn't say maintained. I had kept it under control when Mm -hmm. I was pregnant, of course, and after my son was born. But after that first divorce, when I was 20, I really went off the rails. Mm. And that is when I had my first overdose Mm. at 20. Wow. Yeah. So you had an overdose, but you obviously, you're here. I'm here. (laughs) Yes. There were two overdoses. And so I think I should not be sitting here right now, Mm. but God has a plan and I'm really grateful that I'm here. But yeah, the first overdose, I was at a house party and I was left for dead in a bedroom. And I kept praying, if I can make it through this, I'm never going to do it again. God, if you, if I can just get through this, but I could feel my body shutting down. I could feel my heart felt like it was going to pop out of my chest. And I thought I'm dying and I have a baby at home while I'm at a house party, you know, doing every drug that's in the room. And I was literally left alone just for dead, essentially. And when I came out of it, you know, I thought, okay, I have, I have got to be done. I have to be done now. God heard that prayer multiple times, though, mm-hmm. out of my mouth. <laughs> I was not done. But yeah, I, I continued to use, I continued to drink. But there was this really great time in my life after that first overdose. And I had to go to work the next day and I was working at as a hostess at a local restaurant. And here comes this really cute guy walking through the door I ended up waiting on him and his friend and we were talking and he was being really sweet. And I said, tell me about yourself. And he said, well, I've got my degree in youth ministries and my, my master's in theology. He came from Michigan. He was a really, had a great family that was mom and dad still married. His cousins and siblings were his best friends and they were on fire for Jesus. Mm. And he invited me to hang out with him again, even though he was in town for a short period of time because he lived in Michigan. And I said, listen, (laughs) I recently decided to get clean from drugs like yesterday. You don't want anything to do with me right now. I'm telling you, I'm a wreck. And he said, well, that's not for you to decide. So I started seeing this this guy from Michigan and I actually moved to Michigan to just be closer because his mother said, let's get you out of Illinois for a short period of time or however long it takes. You know, I know that you're trying to live clean, but you're still around all these people. So just come here. And I really believe if it were not for him and his family, who knows where I would have been with my addiction. For eight months, I was clean because I was with him. And I had this just, again, really great example of unconditional love. His family didn't care that I had literally decided to become clean the day before I met their son. They didn't care. They just embraced me. And they were just really good examples of the love of Jesus. Yeah. Oh, and I still, you know, I'm still really grateful for them. I think about them all the time. This gentleman and I realized that we weren't going to progress. We weren't going to to get married. And so we decided to part ways as friends. And I came back to Illinois. And 
the day that I came back to Illinois, I called my old drug dealer and I started using again. Mm-hmm. I was just going through it. I was really upset and really sad. So, uh, so I started all over again with using and that is when I had another overdose and I prayed the same prayer. If I can get through this, God, just let me get through this and I'll never use again. And I used again. So that was a series of how many years that you struggled with drug addiction? I started using opiates. Well, I had my very first sip of alcohol when I was 12 and my first cigarette when I was 12. Even though I would go to youth group and go to church, I would still try to get little nips of whatever I could here and there. But my opiate use started at 15 and I actually needed them for pain management for an injury that I had. Mm. And then I would just fake the injury. I would fake that I was still in pain so that I could get more and more. And I would say the habitual use started around 15, 16, and then it just took over at 17, 18. And I just continued to use like there was no tomorrow. I just didn't care when addiction has a its grip on you. You don't think about anything other than when can I get my next fix? At one point I had multiple dealers just because I was so afraid that one of them was going to cut me off. So I would have multiple people on my phone that I could call. What ended up making you stop? Well, I had been clean again for eight months and that seemed to be my stretch of outside of pregnancy. That was my, that was the longest that I could seem to go. I would go eight months and then I would relapse again and eight months and then relapse again. The final time that I used was January 13th, 2012. So this year was my 10 year anniversary of being clean and it was... Praise Jesus. Oh, praise Jesus indeed. <laughs> um, but I had been clean for eight months and I was out at, at a bar where I should not have been and I was drinking like I should not have been. I knew that there were drugs in the bar and I had a little bit too much. And so I decided to use again one more time. That was the last time I was at home and I was, my children were not home. I want to make that very clear. My kids were never around when I was using ever which also doesn't say much about me as a mother because I would always make sure my kids were with babysitters or my parents so that I could use again because I didn't want them to see me like that. I knew that my kids weren't home and I was laying in bed alone and I could feel my body start to metabolize the drugs a little bit and I started to come down and my hands were shaking and I had to go to work the next day. And every time you have a come down, it's not just a physical withdrawal, I guess. It's it's an emotional, it's a mental, like chemically your body just doesn't know what to do when it's getting rid of the drugs that are in your system. And I thought to myself, if I ever do this again, I will not live through it. Mm. And I'll make sure that I don't live through it. And that thought alone scared me so badly that I've never picked up again. And that was 10 years ago because I want to be here for my children. I want to watch them grow up. I want to become a grandma. I want to watch them get married and go to college and do all the things. And so having that thought that was such a very dark, very scary place to be that if I do this one more time, I won't live through it. I scared myself enough to where I've never wanted to do it again. And at the time, I didn't really have a good relationship with Jesus. I kept my addiction hidden. I would use all the time and people didn't know. They had no idea that I was using. So going through withdrawals, going through recovery, going through detox. I did all of that on my own in the dark. And I keep thinking now, looking back on it, I'm going, what was I thinking? I mean, I'm glad that I got clean, but I didn't have to do it alone. Mm. And I never really did it alone because God was there the entire time. Mm -hmm. I just didn't realize it at the time. So tell me about what brought you back to Jesus. Oh, yes. So... 
I had heard about this super cool church gathering point. I had a lot of people invite me to the gathering point. And at this point in my life, I was clean, but I was drinking. I was very ashamed of my past. I was worried that anyone who knew me from my past, if they saw me in church, they would look at me with judgmental eyes. Mm. They would wonder, why is she here? Even though that I'd grown up in the church and I had a really good foundation of faith, I thought that I had walked so far away from Christ that I thought, you can't come back. (laughs) How do you, that you can't come home again, they say. And so I thought, there's no way that I can come back, but maybe. I had been invited quite a few times by just different people in the community. Please come to Gathering Point. It kept showing up in my life and I had to sing. I should say I got to sing for a wedding in Gathering Point and I was able to have a conversation with Pastor Paul and it was a good conversation. And I thought, okay, if I come back to church, I guess I'll give Gathering Point a try, I suppose. At one point I was at work and I was having a discussion with a friend of mine and she said, Gathering Point's doing this really great series if you want to come with me and join as my guest. And I said, yes. And then I stopped myself and thought, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I just said yes. I just said yes. (laughs) I didn't mean to say yes, Mm. uh, but now I have to go because she's a dear friend and I suppose. So I didn't bring my children. I, I didn't know what type of reaction I was going to have at the church. I didn't know if I was going to fall on the floor and weep. I didn't know if the walls were going to fall in on me. I didn't know, (laughs) you know, what was going to happen. So on the way to church, I was praying hard. And it was one of those like almost angry prayers where I was, you know, thinking, all right, Jesus, you're getting your way. I'm going to church. Fill me. If I'm doing this, I'm going all in. Mm -hmm. So I'm the vessel. Fill me with your word. Tell me what you need me to hear. I'll take it to heart. And I went there, had a very lovely time, saw some friends, and it felt from the second I walked in the door, I was scared to death, but it felt like home. It just felt good. And I knew I was in the right place. But I I walked out, I was driving home and I prayed again and I said, all right, Heavenly Father, I really enjoyed that. But I, I don't think I heard what you were trying to tell me. Maybe next time, could you speak a little louder? I'll just go back next week. <laughs> And so I went back the next week and prayed the same prayer on the way there and prayed the same prayer on the way back. And I said, maybe you speak a little louder next time. I'll just, I'll go back next week. And it turned into, I'll go back next week. I'll go back next week. I'll go back next week. And I just stayed. Now they couldn't get rid of me if they tried. (laughs) So So tell me you were involved in Celebrate Recovery now. Yes, I am. I learned about Celebrate Recovery that first day of church. Uh, Before I left, I walked up to the next steps table And I was, I had a very big purse and I had it in front of me and I was hiding behind my purse and I was scared to death. And Pastor Dane and his wife, Teresa said, um, well, we're so glad that you're here. And I gave them a little bit about my background and they said, well, we have something called Celebrate Recovery. And that is a group for anyone with a hurt, a habit or a hang up. And so that would be perfect for you. And I thought, well, maybe we'll see. So I knew about it, but I just wasn't sure that I wanted to go all in yet with the group. So I had done a small group with them during COVID. It was like a virtual small group outside of CR, but it was a nice way to baby step my way into going to weekly groups. Mm -hmm. I ended up going to CR as a negotiation point for two of my friends because at this point I was still drinking and I'd gotten pretty heavily involved with alcohol. (laughs) My relationship with alcohol was very very, very bad. And not that I want to blame COVID, but it definitely got exacerbated during COVID Mm -hmm. 
to the point where I would have a cup of coffee in the morning and then I would switch to alcohol. So I was drinking by 9.30 every day. I would be on virtual meetings for work with a mug full of wine and I would blow on it and make it look like it was coffee that I was drinking. Mm. And it's just booze first thing in the morning. I had alcohol with me almost everywhere I went. If you see a picture of me with a big glitter cup in my hand, chances are it's filled with some sort of alcohol. But I tried to hide it from people. Mm -hmm. Two of the best friends that I've ever had paid attention to the fact that I was drinking my life away and everything that I worked so hard for with my recovery from drugs, I was about to lose it all to alcohol because my addiction went from one vice to the next. And so they showed up to my house and I thought they showed up because I thought we were going to have a day drinking date. And so, you know, I'm thinking, though, we're going for midday margaritas and really surprise, it's an intervention. (laughs) (laughs) And they sat me down in my kitchen and said, sis, you've got a problem Mm. and we're not leaving until we have a plan to fix it. And I pushed back and I said, I know I drink a lot, but I've already decided to reel it back. And one thing that I'm not going to do is I'm not going to stop drinking. I'm also not going to go to any of those silly AA meetings. I'm not going to walk into any place where they say, hi, my name is so-and-so. And everyone says, hi, so-and-so. I'm not doing it. And I'm also not getting rid of the alcohol in my house. I refuse. And they said, okay, well, then we need to think of a plan. And I said, I'll get back into therapy. I promise I'll go back to my therapist. And I said, well, what are you going to do in the meantime? And I said, okay, well, I'll go to Celebrate Recovery. I heard about these meetings at church. They're for anyone with hurts, habits, or hangups. I'll go to a few of them until I can get back into therapy. So imagine my surprise, the first Celebrate Recovery meeting that I go to and someone stands up and says, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And everyone says, hi, so-and-so. And I looked around the room and I thought, no, I've got to get out of here as quickly as possible. I can't do this, but I stayed. That was in February of 2021. So, and I still go. It's still my place that I go to. The whole, I'm going to go just for a few weeks didn't pan out. I, again, it's one of those things. Years later. <laughs> yeah, I'm still there. It, it's it's really been a life changer and a lifesaver. And it's helped me every week to grow my relationship with Christ and get a little further down that path with the Lord. I don't know. It's just a really, it's just, awesome. It's a great place. So what keeps you grounded now and not reaching for something else to fill that wound? Prayer, usually, because I still struggle. And so just to sort of backtrack the things that I said I was never going to do, I was never going to go to one of those meetings. Well, I've been going now for quite a while. (laughs) Shortly after that, I got rid of all the alcohol in my house. And April 10th, 2021 was my last drink. Amen. It's been great, but sobriety still, you still get your triggers, you Mm -hmm. know, and some of them you can see coming from a mile away. They're as big as a mountain. Some of them trip you up like a tripwire and you have no idea that they're going to happen. So like for instance, dealing with heartbreak, I lost one of my best friends in June suddenly and dealing with grief while you're sober has been a very, very, very big challenge. But usually when I get to that point where I feel like I can't deal with this pain anymore, I I feel like I'm in a pressure cooker and I'm going to spontaneously combust if I have to feel these raw feelings anymore. I just pray. I just pray. It's that simple. And yeah, it's Jesus. I mean, I got to give it to Jesus. It's Jesus. So where does Christian music fall in your life? Oh my goodness. So I was training for the Chicago Marathon. Most of my marathon, I had to make a running playlist because, you know, when you're running 20 miles, (laughs) something's got to get me through it. Something's got to get me through. 
And most of my marathon playlist consists of praise and worship music that I mm. hear on Sundays at mm-hmm. church. And it just, that that is my time with Jesus. And so it's not uncommon to see me on a treadmill with my hand in the air, like just giving it to God in that moment. I especially like trail running for that reason that I can just run with arms outstretched or cry while I'm listening to my music. And I had a slight injury that actually sidelined me. I found out two days before the marathon that I couldn't run it because of a leg injury. So dealing with that also, you know, while sober and I thought, but that's okay. And I found what I'm still doing is I still listen to my marathon playlist every day when I'm getting ready. It's a, it's a daily thing. It's, it's like having that cup of coffee. I have to have it in my life. So if you had to speak into anyone right now that is struggling with addiction, what encouragement would you give them? Embrace your story. Embrace it. I got to a point where there was a, a season of my life where I wasn't dating. I wasn't interested in dating. And when anyone would approach me, I would say something along the lines of, I have three children by three different men and I'm a recovering drug addict. You don't want to play in the sandbox. Mm. And I would use it as sort of like a suit of armor and to deflect people. But God wanted to use it as a story. And you are more than the bullet points on a page. Mm. You are a child of God and he loves you. And I feel like I'm the walking poster child for when God turns a mess into a message. Yes. That's something that I, I try to think about every day. I am more than the bullet points on a page. So you can get through it. Come to church, go to church, listen to praise and worship, do whatever you need to do, but, um, or find a meeting. There are more celebrate recoveries in the United States than there are McDonald's. Wow. Yes, that is a fact. So you can find one. I know there are, there are two in this town alone. Well, thank you for sharing your story today and being so real and vulnerable with us. And I know your story is going to touch thousands of lives that are struggling as well. So thank you. Thank you. This was Shine 180, Elizabeth's story. Stories of forgiveness, redemption, and restoration. I'm Steph Reynolds, Director of Partner Care here at Shine.fm. Your story offers hope and encouragement to others. Share your story today by calling 855-987-9866. That's 855-987-9866. Shine 180, stories of lives transformed by God because of His great faithfulness.